You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Michael Rainier studied as an archaeologist and worked at the British Museum and the University of Leicester before moving into university administration. His new collection of novellas is Five Degrees of Latitude. Thank you for joining me, Michael. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. Michael, this is a remarkable collection, and I'd like you to just tell me a little bit as you're about your background as an archaeologist, which clearly shows its mark in this book. And uh, Talk about, too, about your literary leanings, where, what you read when you first started uh, reading. Well, uh, I f- first started reading um, adventure stories, I think, like every kid um, around about the, the age of, I guess, sort of like the, the ones I can remember are around about the ages of 10 or 11 or something. So I w- wasn't an early starter by any means. But I used to read uh, Tarzan and, and uh, Treasure Island and those kinds of books, which I find uh, have always found you know fascinating and enjoyable to read, just to lose yourself in, in those pages for several hours. The archaeology side of it just came by accident. I lived on a hill of chalk, which has flint in it. And so uh, digging in the garden, we would come across flint all the time. And uh, I became interested in, in that. And one thing led to another, and I became uh, interested in flint tools, stone Stone Age flint tools, and um, went on excavations and stuff at the local society, and you know eventually decided to study that at university, and and was fortunate enough to study under one of the, the preeminent lithics experts, uh, lithics, the stone the study of stone tools, who um, imbued his passion with me, and I went on then to 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 go on and study that as as a as a doctoral thesis and then was lucky enough to teach it for a few years but the the writing and the archaeology were separate strands in in my life uh, they they didn't sort of cross over to any real extent i know there's a quite a big literature around archaeologists you know discovering things but i i didn't really read any of that um i was really a very hard-nosed academic archaeologist i read you know dry academic texts uh, on on stone tools which i found interesting so there you you know go figure and I guess I read outside of that, I've always been interested in these kind of adventure stories for escape from that very kind of dry academic sort of background that I was working in. So I didn't read a huge amount, I have to say, um, of for, for pleasure, because when you're studying a, a subject to that degree at that level, you don't really read anything other than that you know if you're reading anything else you know there's questions why are you reading something that's not to do with your work so I have to say I went through a very long period when I was doing my research where I read for pleasure almost not at all and and everything was to do with reports about stone age uh, lithic scatters and and stuff so almost uh, I came back to reading really when I left academic archaeology Mm. and found myself with with time on my hands and I had a, a brief quite a brief interlude when before I uh, had children where I had you know a large amounts of time and and began reading again novels but very early very very quickly um, we had children and and I started thinking about them and and their future quite quite early on and 
decided to go back and read some of the stories that I'd read as a child to see if they were going to be appropriate and start collecting them because for some reason they'd, they'd gone in you know moves to houses and student accommodation they'd frittered away so I started buying them again I love secondhand books so I started buying you know nice tatty pre-owned copies of Treasure Island or Frankenstein or the Tarzan books uh, Peter Pan anything that my children would be likely to read and I started reading them just to check that they're okay and finding that they were fascinating not at all how they've been portrayed in the movies and the popular conception of these stories they have nuances that just haven't made it to the screen so I became really interested in that. So this is a very long-winded answer to say that I don't have a great legacy of, of literature in my background. I, I, ha- I read a little bit when I was at school as a child. I then had this long break where I read, but not for pleasure. And then I came back to it. So if there's anything about that, it may be that I have the exuberance of somebody rediscovering something from childhood again and finding that that was really great and, and still having all the enthusiasm for it. You can still see, though, the influence of your academic work in your in your writing. It's it's clearly there, but you've turned it into an adventure, which I think is very clever. And we'll talk about that. Talk about when you dis- first decided to start writing fiction on your own. What made you take that that path? You're you're working presumably as a university administrator. You've got kids. What when did you sit down in front of a computer? I guess and start writing. I've always wanted to write Mm. from before being an archaeologist, tried to write little stories and stuff in the back of notebooks and stuff and was always uh, singularly unsuccessful in, in achieving what I wanted to achieve. When I started reading again for pleasure, I I began to, I, I must have brought with it a certain criticism for the written word that you have when you when you uh, study um, academically for a long time, where every single word has a meaning. Uh, uh, and there can be no ambiguity about it and I began to a enjoy the freedom of that in the little bits of writing that I was doing that I no longer had to to be so specific about things things in fact it would be better if there was ambiguity in what I was writing because that would allow the reader to but that's an absolute uh, you know forbidden in academic uh, (laughs) writing you have to be precise so I began you know reading um, these these books uh, and looking at their structure just out of habit out of out of an intellectual habit looking at the words used why was that word used not another word and beginning to think I could do this I, I think I, I have this I had loads of ideas I've always had loads of ideas I'm one of these people who constantly think that would make a great book that would make a great story uh, and I would write the title in my head it was always very important to have a good title and probably the first couple of paragraphs and then everything would kind of peter out and I'd go on to something else. The real thing that changed for me, I had two children, I had not a lot of time, but I was living 50 miles, I am still living 50 miles north of London, and but working in London. And so I found myself with a commute, a 40-minute train commute. And I'm not very good at sitting still in that in that sense. And so I thought, well, this is a, an opportunity for me to start to to write. And I got given um, a BlackBerry and I discovered that on BlackBerry, there's a little uh, uh, application, I suppose you call it, called Notes, which allows you to write in freehand about 1,400 words. And then that, it fills up and you have to open another, another file. 
And so one day, uh, I can tell you precisely when it was, I'd been to the States over Christmas and I'd been thinking about writing and I really must do it. And I got back to work in January, cold January day, got onto the train, found my seat and I took out this BlackBerry and I, I began to start typing into the BlackBerry. I had no idea at that time what I was going to write, but what I was, it turned out what I was writing was, was Sikatan, which is one of the stories. And I was just blown away because it just came out I was expecting the usual bit it to stop um, um, but it, it didn't it just kept one word kept coming out after the other and these files kept filling up and I had I was opening a new one so very quickly again I've always found it's very interesting how your background keeps I was a typologist as an archaeologist so I I would classify things in, in, and I would develop these intense coding systems to classify these different types of stone tools. Soon I discovered that that was now handy in classifying my chapters because I only had 1,500 words and then these files would close up. But I often hadn't finished the chapter, so I would have to come up with a structure. So I now have a very, com well, not a complicated structure, but a, a numbering system so that the chapters are all in kept together and they're A, B, point one, two, three, so that that's it. Uh, and it just and I just it just came out and I finished that story in 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 um, so I would do 40 minutes on the way down and then I would go to work and forget about it. And then I would I have a, a 15 minute walk from my office back to the railway station and I would try and remember what I'd written in the morning. And then I would think a bit more about it and then I get on the train and reread the bit and then just start writing again on the train back. So 18 minutes a day took me uh, two months exactly to to write that whole story and I did it you know more or less un, you know unchanged just came out uh, as it was very very lucky very fortunate that it was that that one because the others you know I found much harder but that one seemed to be ready made in in my brain and it just came out so written in, on a blackberry while you're commuting yeah, I, I <laughs> have to say one, <laughs> one essential uh, piece of technology here is a really good set of uh, headphones so that you can block out the sound because that does that that does in, interrupt uh, and interfere. But then I discovered that even that has a bonus because then I could put on uh, the music that was appropriate for where I was in the story. So if it's a kind of a mystery bit and there's fog rolling in, I'll play something that you know reminds me of that. Well, what were you listening to while you wrote Seeker Tarn? I think there was a there was a lot of Sibelius in there. I think, uh, <laughs> I uh, and some so. and that kind of stuff. I mean, I I cut around a lot of it. A lot of actually very interesting stuff was was film music, uh, which I'm not. I mean, I love classical music, um, but there there are a couple of there was a film called The Village, um, and it has a wonderful soundtrack, a violin soundtrack, and I use that an awful lot of the time. Uh, Arvo Part is writes some very mysterious music that that just is perfect for for the way I write, and I guess I write um, episodically. I'm forced to do that because of the BlackBerry and the the time thing, but uh, that lends itself to sort of a cine quasi cinematographic kind of way of thinking. So the music, having the music there, is like the soundtrack for me, and it, it's very very helpful. Boy, that's just such a remarkable story, <laughs> Michael. This is fantastic. Now, uh, let's talk just a little bit about Sikatarn. That's your very first story. How much had you thought about this? And one of the things I think you do incredibly well is create places in a somewhat academic manner. I can really see the academic aspect. 
it creeps through in this very creative way. So I'd like you to talk about creating the places you, you write about. Do you visit places like this or do they just arise in your head? Do you map them out in your mind or does this all flow out, come out in the prose? They are all based on areas that exist, places that exist, but they're um, twisted and contorted in my mind to fulfill the purposes of the story. So Sikatan is, is, there's no, I don't think it's a particular secret, it's, it's uh, part of the west coast of Scotland, is based, it's based on, but there is no place like that, it doesn't exist, if you look on a map you won't, you won't find it. I tried, and that's one thing <laughs> I have to say, your writing is so convincing. For the first two stories, I would find myself trying to look up these places, and you got, I'd have a general idea where they were, and I'm thinking, well, wait, 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 this, oh, no, wait, this is all, I, it would seem, it's all made up, and I'm just thinking, boy, that's some convincing writing. <laughs> yeah, so, and I have to say, I don't, there's no um, grand plan in there, it's just because um, it's, again, come back to being an academic. If you have a hunch about something, you can't just write that down. You have to go away and you have to find the literature. You have to read the literature. You have to go and talk to people about it. Then you have to go and look at the material. And then you think, yeah, okay, I was right. Well, no, I was wrong. To me, I'm like a kid in a sweet shop where I get the idea of oh no, I don't have to um, go and look that up and see whether there is an island there or there is a mountain there. I'll just put one there. And to me, that is that I'm just like a child. I just find that so wonderful that I can just solve that problem and not have to uh, go to the British Library and look something up. So it's really, it's it's needs driven. Um, I am, and you, you you made the point that they, they have a lot of references to, to the the uh, to, to things that are real and that that's true and um what i tried to do is make these these landscapes as realistic as possible and in my world those little bits of realism come from things like you know what kind of rock it's built on and uh, what what the weather may do peculiarities of the weather in terms of mist and 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 stuff what the flora and the fauna were like so i'm i am consciously trying to uh, lead people into these little imaginary worlds by giving them little nuggets of truth. So everybody knows what a deer looks like. Everybody knows what a what a rut might might be like. So we'll we'll drop that in into a into a place that doesn't actually exist. And then I've kind of moved people, you know, surreptitiously towards believing something that is that is not believable in, in the real world. One of the things I think that is remarkable in in all of your stories are the levels of storytelling. You have a really unique uh, method of wrapping stories in stories and stories and, pers and perspectives within perspectives. And there's a kind of ambiguity sometimes when we're reading, we get so many levels in, you're kind of thinking, well, wait, 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 okay, this is who's talking now. And, and sometimes you use that to great effect when, when there's a kind of a reveal. And I'm thinking in the first story, there's a reveal that just knocked me on my socks. Um, so talk about your sense of telling a story because Sikatarn is, I think, uh, probably the most straightforward of the stories in this book. But I, I still think that, you know, there's, again, there's, you take us someplace, we hear tales, we tell tales, we look up legends. It's just really it seems intricately architected. You're right. Uh, it it wasn't really intentional. I, I have one very, very simple uh, golden rule, and it comes from, um, I like 
like many people was 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 brought up in a um a religious household and we would have to go to church um in fact i was at a boarding school so church at, at, run by monks uh, a monastic school so we spent a lot of time in church and um i i realized that um i would try to be a good uh, listener and listen to these sermons and i just couldn't we would get to the end of the sermon and i would like i i heard the beginning bit what happened i just it, it had gone and there was one guy who, one priest who, who I, I did listen to. And it, the reason was, I realized very quickly, is that he would start talking about whatever he wanted to talk about. And then he'd inject a story into it. And you'd, 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 you'd latch onto the story for a minute or two. And if the story was too long, you'd then slip back into kind of dream world and wondering what you were going to do when you could get out of this place. But then he would start another story and then you'd come back and you would remember. And if you'd asked me afterwards you, uh, what, the, what he was talking about, what the sermon was about, I had no idea. But I knew that there were three stories and I could tell you the stories. And so I have this, this founding principle, which is you build a story within a story and you keep people interested because everybody is interested in the beginning of a story where what the real trick is, and I don't claim to have it uh, at all, but there are many, many writers who do, is to keep people interested and not having to continually start new stories. I'm not that good a writer, so uh, for me, I'm continually starting new stories to, to keep uh, people interested. And, and part of it is uh, also, again, uh, the way they're written, because they are so episodic in my life, you know, I, I 40 minutes and then I go to work and I'm dealing with all sorts of other stuff. I'm not thinking about writing at all. And then I come back again. Uh, my thread is constantly being broken. And very, it's very easy when you write in that way to come back and thought, oh, I, I can't really remember where I was going with that. So, uh, I, but, uh, you know, I'm liking, I'm liking the look of this. So I, I, it would, I think it would be good if this happened next. And so you go off on another thing. So in, in partly that, that that's great because it injects fresh, uh, freshness to the writing, I think, and, and a new story. But it has very serious uh, drawbacks, which, which I think come out in some of the other ones because they become, there's too many, they, you can get too many layers. So for me, it's all about trying to find the right number of, of levels. But it's, it's not a, a deliberate thing other than that, I think people love the beginning of a story. Everybody, you know, you, you say, I'm, I'm now I'm going to tell you a story. Everybody listens, no matter what, what age they are, they sit down. What, what, where you may lose them is, is on the nature of the story. So I try not to do that. You know, um, so you're still writing on a Blackberry. Yeah, yeah. I've just finished. I'm very close to completing a, a, a novel format in the, in the Blackberry. Wow. Well, we'll have to ask about that later. Now, I want to get back to Sikatarn because one of the things that strikes me about all of your stories is they have a really solid emotional core. And, and this one is no exception. And, and But you give us like uh, some really great a variety of characters and your approach is, I think, what's nice about your approach is you really ground us in the real world and ground us in the emotions of these characters. So talk about creating, you know, and your characters tend to go and experience something. I mean, they, they don't often they see the effects of something that has happened before. And so talk about creating these kind of characters that, you know, keep us really engaged and exploring these worlds that you make that seem so real. I don't claim any great secret to that. The the characters are, in my view, the people who needed to be there to to carry the story to its conclusion. I just wanted to tell 
in Sikatan, a very a very simple story, which actually ironically is well, not, I don't think ironically is the one of the five stories that has some element of truth behind it. So there there is a really? that that happened to simply the fact that that um, well, let me go back. My my when I was young, about ten or eleven, my brother, my older brother went on a trip, was allowed to go on a trip on his own in Scotland and uh, with a friend of his, and they uh, stayed with uh, uh, friends of our family up there, went for a walk, heard this whistling and got pretty scared and, and then came back down. So, And that they retold us that story, and as a young uh, child, that must have had an effect on me because I've remembered it. Subsequently, I think the same family were struck by a tragedy where a member of their uh, family was was killed in an accident involving the implement that happens in this story. I guess I, I don't want to give it away. So those two bits came together. So I, I did know, I had a very clear idea of what the story was uh, as it unraveled there. Um, so I just needed some characters to make that happen. And in that particular the story, I, I don't know if you've, if you've done a lot of uh, walking or hiking in those kinds of areas, but you invariably find one of two things. You either have a companion that you get along with extremely well and no words need to be said. You, you, you seem to understand where you're going, where you're headed, and you appreciate the same sorts of things that you see in the natural landscape. Or you find yourself with a, a really annoying person who really... <laughs> Uh, at least this is my experience, who, who won't shut up talking about something and, and you just can't enjoy it and you wish they, they weren't there. So for this trip, because that's what it was, I, w- I was taking a trip. And if you're trying to get at how to do it, I was uh, taking myself on a trip through this landscape. Don't forget, I haven't seen this landscape before either. So it's new to me. Who would I who would I do that trip with? And um, I, I thought that the, the two characters there were were the most appropriate they have this great relationship uh, mm-hmm. that that is largely unspoken and so if anything i'm the sort of the narrator type person because that's who i am but i know many people who would fit the the role of the the other character very well and so they're, they're not based on anybody in particular but they're based on a on a on a kind of person uh, that that um enjoys uh the landscape for what it is enjoys discovering new things um but does that in a very understated and respectful way which is what i think uh, Johansson Johansson does now uh one of the things that strikes me about this story and all the stories in this book is there i think they verge on novella lane i'm there are long long stories or novellas i'm mm-hmm. not sure where but they all have a very pleasing density when i read any one of these stories i feel pretty much like i've read a novel and I think you get the right level of detail, the right level of plot. We get deep enough into the characters. And I'd like you to talk about choosing that length. Does the, does the length just choose itself? Because I think part of it is necessary because a lot of your writing is about landscape. And just to create those kind of landscapes that are seem so immersive, you have to give us put us there for a while. Yes, you're right. When we had children, obviously you... you you lose a lot of time and so I began to read a lot of short stories and I've always always loved short stories and I've always found it quite intimidating to be faced with a big thick 
book, you know, a Harry Potter type book. It just, I just think, oh God, I can't. <laughs> so sh short stories uh, have always been the thing that I've loved. I've loved them. Uh, and I think that it's a very superior art form uh, to, to be able to do that. But I, as somebody who probably craved novels in terms of a longer thing, I was, began to get frustrated that um, these stories were were sort of closing out before before I really wanted them to and I really wanted uh, yeah, a little bit more from these 4,000 5,000 word stories and I thought to myself gosh and this was conscious gosh wouldn't it wouldn't it be great if you could just eke out this story um, have the same the same type of story, uh, the same the nut, nutshell of the story, but just spread it out a bit and explore some of these things that as a short story writer, I, I guess people have to, um, you know, deliberately cut off those avenues. So we won't talk about the landscape. We won't talk about how people were feeling. We'll move this on very quickly. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if you could just enjoy that a little bit more, but not to the extent of a, of a novel, because I can't write four or five pages about how somebody's thinking. That's just not, I, I don't have that ability in me. But I, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about what they're thinking, but not too much. So I, I very deliberately wanted to write a long, short story. How they, they ended up, they're all about, I think, 20,000 words uh, long. So I think a traditional short story is, is considered to be around about 4,000 words. So they, they ended up at that length because that's how long it took me to, to, to finish the story and that thing. And it, it, there is no other, I could, they could have been longer, they could have been shorter. It just seemed that that, that, that length was enough time to take a, a quite a short, simple idea and pull it apart just a little bit. Uh, without getting too uh, heavy um, and come to a nice conclusion and you can read those things if you're slow it takes a week which is nice you know if you've got short reading or you can read them in a in a session a single sitting so I think that's quite a good uh, you know a result the uh, the way they're broken up nicely into these little chapterettes does make it possible to read them like a novel it feels like that now what was the second story you wrote having finished the katarna came out perfectly and did you send it out for publication or did you just put it on your hard drive and no. say i'm a happy guy i um i i showed it to my wife who who read it and um she she liked it she thought it was it, it was really good but i think you know i think if she was here she'd say it was a, it was a bit uh uh long uh nothing kind of happens in it which which i was very proud of i was quite <laughs> proud of the fact that, that that you know there aren't sort of great um, cataclysmic events happening in it it's just two guys walking walking around i then sat down to write and i was trying to think now I, I think it was um the rumor mill was the next one uh, that came out and again it it the reason that was because i i knew exactly what that story was uh, it was an idea i had back at university i remember almost the, the the moment i had it walking off to a lecture thinking that would be a really good story but it's not unique because uh, i have these ideas all the time of, that would be a really good story but I, I just happened to remember this one and it stuck with my mind and i've always said to myself i'd love to i'd love to write that story that would be really good but i i, I wouldn't know how to do that um necessarily but Sika Khan coming as quickly as it did and as easily as it did for me uh, on that one, and I'm, I'm, I'm not being arrogant, it just, it just flew out, and I don't know why, gave me this confidence. I thought, I can do that. I can write that story. So I sat down and, and on the train and started uh, writing that. And um, it, it, again, came pretty, pretty easily in, in, that, in that one. I didn't 
have any real um, obstacles in in that. Um, I knew, I knew that I would have to make up this um, the Siedendorf uh, town and area. Again, I've 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 been once to that part of of Europe, and um, you know I love landscapes, so I I I you know I, I absorb it in. So it was it wasn't difficult to to come up to come up with that. I just had I buy a, a print off a little map of of the area, and I can I can work it out how how things would fit into that that kind of landscape landscape well you fit an entire history i mean you fit <laughs> like a, a what would be like two chapters of european history into this short story it's really remarkable and again it feels so real and i think again here's your academic background coming back you have this way of just tossing this stuff off bang 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 it's really interesting to us as readers just really captivating and then i'm thinking this sounds so real but is it what you know, again, you're running to Wikipedia trying to find these places. They they aren't there. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I had a lot of fun with that. I, I enjoy. It. I mean, of, of of the five, I think the the the, uh, the rumor mill is the one that has uh, you know the more overt humor in it than any of the others. But uh, um, what I've learned, what I've discovered in my writing is that I can't make up anything that hasn't happened. And if you know anything, you know, the historians will tell you that. It's probably happened in Europe, uh, uh, and um, I'm absolutely convinced that I haven't. All I've done is I've stretched the margins a little bit, but but um, that kind of crazy stuff happens. And if you if you've read a little bit of history and and, and um, a little bit of European history in particular, it doesn't have to be European; it can be anywhere. Um, the, the the most extraordinary things actually turn out to have happened, and and I find that constantly with the, with the story. So what I think. Um, what I'm lucky in in having is is the the ability to just make um, drop in a few facts that would would be uh, the anchor points of any, any any true account, and then you weave in the bits in between. And um, if you those anchor points are fairly well grounded, you can make a pretty plausible thing. And the only disappointment is when you when you pick up a newspaper and suddenly discover that's. That, that that really did happen. That, that um, so yeah, I, I I had a I had fun with that. I enjoyed I enjoyed that. And there's a little bit of uh, I suppose the British people sort of um, you know, taking a little bit of the mick out of uh, European content, which is what my 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 history people have done for 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 years. But um, it was it was fun it was fun doing it. But it, there's there's also a, a kind of a dark. And the reason it's in the collection, there is a dark. Uh, undertone to all to all of that, um, and a, and a warning, and a, uh, you know about uh, the misuse of of science, and it's um, I think and very interesting if you take contemporary issues and then uh, you kind of retrofit them back into a historical aspect, which is um, some somewhat of what the the uh, not intentionally, but I see now looking back at it and reading it again. That there, you know, you could bring that into the um, the present day uh, and change a few of the parameters, and you'd have you'd have a story that was plausible today in terms of internet and and the use of uh, information, which is what that story is about. Well, absolutely, I read it, and what was remarkable to me that here's a story that's convincingly set, beautifully wrought, set what eighteen hundreds, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, and all I could think about, my mind, all the time, full was just full of, boy, this is last summer's healthcare debate. Down to the summertime part, <laughs> setting. I mean, down to the dates and stuff. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that the ability 
of to write something so thought-provoking was really remarkable that, you know, you let the reader make all the connections. And that's to inspire that kind of thought and as part of the reading experience where you're at once immersed in this kind of Victorian experiment and these Victorian politics, but yet reminded about today's politics was, was quite remarkable. Now, also, what I really liked about this was that... Um, Sikatarn is a, has you know many of the feel of a of a kind of a classic ghost story to it. This, however, reminded me of something like out of by by Arthur C. Clarke or maybe Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, um, actually, I think um, you're, you're right. Um, it, it's H.G. Wells. Okay. Was, was a was a big uh, um, uh, influence on, on me. I love I love his stories and. Um, I think if I if I was in mind of something, it's the kind of stories that he wrote, like um, the first Men in the Moon. I think is a great story of his, and it's about it's about um, some some uh, uh, wayward professor building a space rocket and going off to the moon. Um, and, and I it prompted me when I read that um, again more recently as part of my coming back to reading that um, you know it, if you read that it sounds a little bit crazy um, because uh, he's working from his point in time uh, when space travel hadn't happened. Um, I could write about space travel um, from my perspective with, with you know, the Apollo missions and the shuttle and all these wonderful things that have happened. I, but I, I could place it back in, uh, back in time in, in the 18th and 19th century but I could write it more convincing knowing what I know about space and space travel. And so um, that was a concept I thought was interesting. And I still would like to do that one day is, is do, a, do the space, space travel. But, but in the, the case of the rumor mill, it, it's about um, I could write more about the, the misuse of information, knowing what I know now and how governments behave um, at, towards their people. And then retrofit that back to to uh, um, a period in the past where people, you know, wouldn't necessarily know that. And my audience reading today will get it. They'll they'll understand it because because of what they what they know. And so it, it makes it a, a slightly more plausible story. At least I hope it makes it. Oh, slightly it seems more plausible. completely plausible. I, yeah. I I love the heck out of that story. Yeah. yeah. Now. Uh, it's also, as you say, rather humorous. You have some great characters in there. So I love the the father-in-law and, and the daughter. And the, you have some almost Dickensian naming going on in there as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, names are obviously Dickens is the, 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 uh, the, the lead on that. But names are important, absolutely mm -hmm. important. And uh, I think once I think I struggle you know, with all of the, the places and all the people, uh, I spend a great deal of time getting the right the right names. Uh, once the name, once I've got the name, I can I can start. So I'm not somebody who can write a story and not have the name and just put cross 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 uh, says this and then and I'll think of the name later. It'll come. Uh, that's an absolute writer's block to me. I have to have the name in uh, in right from the very get go. Otherwise, nothing else flows. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is the name. Is the is the is the kind of the motherload through which all of their character stuff and and the landscape flows. So, naming is important, and it's good to have a good you know an interesting name. I like names. Um, I, I read a lot of uh, Annie Prue, 
and I, I love the names of, of the of the of the ranches and the people that she has uh, in those stories. And um, I just think it brings it brings it alive and it's a bit of it's 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 a bit of fun. So I do have a list in my Blackberry. I have another note where I uh, jot down any interesting names that I happen to see on shop fronts or in, in telephone books or uh, itineraries or programs or anybody's got an interesting name uh, it goes in there. And um, I frequently look through that and just think, oh, yeah, that's that's who I'm looking for. That's the person to, t- to take this story forward. Now, uh, what was the third story you wrote? So then I began to get into, <laughs> became harder. I, 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 I it's uh, Hobbs's Lane, mm-hmm. number three Hobbs's Lane. Uh, this I found very difficult. This is a difficult story to write, and I, uh, this is the when reality hits. So, um, I don't know why I wrote it to this day. Um, the only thing I, I, I can think of is that I was trying to draw out this idea of how how could you make something completely ridiculous plausible given that I now had 20,000 words to do it in and, and not any shorter so the tricks that I'd learned how could I really pull off um, something uh, and I'm I have to be honest with you I'm not saying that I I this is what happened I'm trying to retrofit this into what I was thinking because I have no idea there is no record of why I chose uh, um, a house with no windows. I can't, there was no moment where I'd said it has to be about a house with no windows. There was no, um, uh, that I'm aware of, um, story that was floating around or anything that, that would have given me the idea. And when people ask about why I chose that, I, I genuinely draw a blank and I can't remember the day that it, 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 it occurred. It's very early on in the story and I write my stories sequentially so it must have been early in the writing of the process that this idea occurred to me but um i all i can think of is that i was trying to set a challenge um and you say boy do you try and work you know try and explain that in twenty thousand words why you would have a house no windows um is possibly it but i i I genuinely don't really understand why I, i chose it you know, one thing that I like about all the stories in this book, there's a lot of variety in here. You really can't pin any one label on this collection. And you, you put it in one story, and the next story, that ain't it. You move it to the next story, that ain't it. Um, and, and all the stories have a kind of a sense, though, I think, of wonder. I guess that's what unites them. And in that sense, it's, it's like science fiction wonder, but not science that has none of the trappings of that. And so um, Three Hobbs Lane is, is a story that when you get to the, to the kernel of it, uh, it does, you just, it really knocks you. <laughs> you go, oh my God, yes, you do manage to make something that seems like impossible possible. Uh, so talk about creating that sense of wonder. And one of the things too that makes this, that makes that kind of sense possible is that against this kind of wild idea that you have, you have this gorgeously and beautifully evoked backdrop. Does this prose, landscape prose, uh, do you travel a lot? Does this landscape prose flow from your fingers of your Blackberry? <laughs> this seems uh, almost ridiculous. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I feel um, not well equipped to, to write uh, about landscape or about people's thoughts and emotions uh, 
Well, you I, do both remarkably well. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that's very, I'm very fortunate if that's, if that's how it happens. I mean, my, my, the stories I w- were, was reading while I was writing all of these for pleasure were, were children's adventure stories written at the beginning of the century in the 19 sort of 20s and 30s. So um, Percy Westerman and, and uh, um, uh, people, people like that. Um, there is a childlike sense of wonder in all the stories. Yeah, and I, I am a wondrous... Um, I know, let's get my words right here, but I, I am full of wonder for, for what I see around me. I do, I do find the, the world a fascinating place and I find people fascinating. Um, uh, so I, I am constantly looking at things and thinking that's, that's just amazing, taking that in. Um, I have this kind of, I guess, this neo-academic background that makes me, you know, perhaps uh, think twice about things that I see and think, you know, well, how does that happen or how does that work or how does that rock happen to be above this other rock? How might that happen? What's the geology there? So I, I guess it's a coming together, a fortuitous coming together of, of those those things. The landscape, I love landscape. I love, I love uh, landscape. But to answer your question, I, I, I have done a, a fair deal of, of hiking in my, in my time. I used to, when I was doing my, my PhD with no money, um, there, there wasn't much else to do. I couldn't go and buy things. So I would, I would pack a few things in a bag and just go hiking. I was based in, in the Midlands of England, um, in, in, in Leicester and Nottingham. And so some beautiful parts of the landscape uh, around there, the, the Derbyshire Dales and uh, the hills around there. So I would go and walk around those on my own for, for a, you know, a day or two days um, and found that you know, just wonderful. But I haven't done it for a long, long time with, a, with, with my children still too young to, to do that um, at the moment. In fact, they've just been <laughs> rescued by their grandfather having got down a road and couldn't be bothered to walk back again. So... Um, but that will come. I'll look forward to that again. Uh, but I do have that memory mm-hmm. of of, uh, of that of just setting out into a landscape and and just seeing wonderful things around you. But I'm not um, another writer I like is is uh, Barry Lopez, and mm-hmm. I, I've read a lot of his his short stories and and some of his 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 longer stuff. But I would never. I'm not at anywhere near that kind at uh, that level of of understanding of uh, the flora the wildlife i don't know the names of most of the grasses the trees that i pass through i'm frustrated that i don't it annoys me that i i don't i think that's a, a damning uh, um, indictment on on where we're at in terms of understanding the landscape around us and i'm, I'm complicit in that uh, so i recognize that in the stories I have to get that right. So I do spend a bit of research time. In fact, probably the research that I do most where I, you know, actually if I do um, need to go on to, uh, to a library or go onto Google to find out some, it's usually about plants and animals. So what kind of tree would be in this, in this thing here? Because I don't know, and that's awful. But, you know, so I, I like to get, and you need to have that in the text that if you look at you know, travel writing, they, they, they write about the trees uh, in terms of species and why they're there. And that's important to get that right. So it's another one of these details that I, I like to, to have in there. But this one is one that I don't know. So I have to go and look it up. So um, you arm yourself with these details and take and in your BlackBerry and another file and you're writing, OK, this is my tree. Yeah. Flora and fauna. Um, it's 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 um, you have a flora and fauna file. I do. I, oh, I, have, wow. a, I have a name, a, a names file and a flora and fauna and a and a, and a conversion thing. So I'm because I'm, I'm writing 
in a usually historically i need to know you know what what would what would that be in today's money and that that those kinds of things you know what's mm-hmm. a what's a cable and what's a you know in terms of length and and uh or a league you know how how far is a league <laughs> I, I forget i have a terrible a terrible memory and i think leagues are mentioned in every single story but i i always have to go and look it up and um so the, uh, but it's important to me to get those right mm-hmm. uh, those those little details right um, and um, and I actually I enjoy that bit of research. That's a little bit of the I guess the academic background. I, you know, I enjoy that uh, piece of research coming coming out. And you always find something else that you weren't looking for, and you think, oh, that's uh, that's a good word. I could put that in. That that's a, a useful thing. So um, I'm I'm writing at the moment writing something about um, uh, an island in in the Indian Ocean. So there's yeah complete fauna and stuff has to be uh, right for that and and. Uh, the names of people are different from from these English names largely, so uh, yeah, there's a lot of work that's gone into the to that. But I enjoy that side of it. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>